Gaming NBS episode 126, Dragons. When I do that, this is Gaming NBS Tabletop RPG Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Um, I don't know what Sean just did, but he hates it when he does that. <laughs> Welcome to the hear, show. I don't, I don't think you can hear it, Brett. Because mm. So what happens is I have the chat room open and I have to like mute it before it, it kicks in. Oh, the, otherwise I, you get the echo in the head? Correct. Oh, that's lovely. So yeah. Uh, anyways. We have also learned um, throughout... Different experiments with the chat room that Sean can watch a chat room, but Brett cannot. Yeah, Brad gets too distracted. He'll be, he he wouldn't be Brett. Like he would be sitting yeah. there, like I'd be like tick 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 tick. What are you doing, Brett? Got a show going? Nope. In the in the chat room. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, had a, oh, we had a topic. The fuck, man. All right. Well, yeah, man. Hey, so I just want to, we'll start off with announcements. Yes. This is a kind of an interesting one. Yeah, I, I have. Well, so you, you lead off. And- All right. So uh, we want to thank Joe. Uh, Joe, your last name came in a little bit garbled in the voicemail, but we want, I know it's Joe uh, for pointing this out to any, to us, but even more so Brett, because apparently I have a copy of this book. And when I when Sean's like, listen to this voicemail, I'm like, motherfucker. I run over, grab a copy. Holy crap, there it is. So apparently, uh, Joe, we want to thank Joseph Goodman at Goodman Games and anybody associated with the fourth printing of Dungeon Crawl Classics because apparently they were nice enough to put a link to our show on page 445 under podcast. So, you know, if you haven't delved into a DCC, you know, book, they do kind of the uh inspiration appendix n-ish piece in the back of their book and uh, apparently our episode on dcc i think with jen brinkman's in there listed as a link so thank you yeah, so much NBS whoever suggested Miller. that yeah no it's really cool i was yeah. just shocked i'm like son of a bitch we're in a book that's really neat <laughs> i had no idea i even have a, i even have the damn thing didn't even notice it yeah so uh, let's get into random encounters, shall we? Or do we have, do go, we have anything else? You don't have anything, do you, Brett? Uh, no, nothing I can think. Oh, um, just heads up, Sean, you are still coming to GaryCon, correct? Yeah, I'll be at GaryCon, man. Okay, so we'll just, yeah, just want to make sure. Shit changes, shit changes. Sean and Brett will be at GaryCon. I know other folks, listeners of the show will be there, and uh, hopefully we will catch folks there. They'll shake hands, kiss some babies, and drink some beer together. So, And, of course, game. Off we go. That's all I got, man. Moving on. Random encounter. Emails, voicemails. Now, I'm going to start this, Brett. <laughs> okay. I, I have to apologize to Angela. She's like, hey, did you ever get that email that I sent in about Pure Mongrel? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure we reread that. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'm going through. And so the way I kind of workflow things is as people email us and I put it in and in the show notes, I, I archive the email. So I, oh, check, you know, that's done. Well, apparently there's Angelus sitting there and I'm like, oh God, I missed so you it. Did, you didn't like accidentally archive Angela. You just accidentally we, didn't put her thing in. Right. I didn't put it in the show. All right. So th- this is kind of like, I think, so Pure Mongrel, if it was a friend of the show, patron of the show, wrote in talking about issues with him just being the game master and nobody yeah, the GM else burnout GM burnout GM burnout. Nobody else in his group is going to game master. And Angela, right after that uh, show wrote in. And then of course we failed to talk about it. So I'll let you read it. Go ahead. And that's how we lost Angela as a listener. Um, she's in the chat room. So she's given us a second chance. Okay, good. Whew. Thank God. All right, Angela, first off, this is Brett, and I want you to know it's not my fault. Sean just <laughs> it's Sean's Ooh, fault. Hey, Ooh, hey, there's another there's another reason for a train. It's the one that Brett throws Sean under all the time. <laughs> Where necessary. Anyway, Angela Murray, hey guys. I missed Pierre Mongrel's post on G Plus when it was first posted, but I do have some thoughts on his predicament. 
I would never become GM if one of the guys in my group hadn't persistently asked me, quote, so when are you going to run something, unquote. All the GMs I've ever played with before treated the job as something only the most talented and knowledgeable people could ever take on. Running a game was a job for people who were, quote, unquote, better than I was. This friend, though, wouldn't take that for an answer. Why not? That's stupid. Of course you can run a game. There was no babying or coddling, but he was adamant that I could run a game. So eventually I tried it and found I wasn't all that bad at it. Now, over 10 years later, he tells me that many of my games are some of his favorites. So my advice to Mongrel is to mentor his players to become GMs. You can usually tell which player would make a good GM. They're the ones that come up with the great ideas that further the game and draw other players even further into the game. Uh, start working with that player to find the game they're interested in running. Give them honest feedback when they do run, pointing out the good stuff along with the stuff that needs to be improved. It might be a rough start at first, but everyone has to start somewhere. Hope Mongrel can find a player or two of his to pick up the baton and run a game or two for the group. Ange. You know what, Angela? That is a damn good idea. I um, I ended up running games for my high school gaming group because Eric, the usual DM, couldn't make it. And everyone was bemoaning the fact that no one would do it. Or without Eric, we can't have a game. I'm like, well, I know how to run this. I can do that. I think I've told this story before. They were fucking brutal. It was just, <laughs> they were mean, mean, mean. And I damn near gave it up at that time. But anyway, uh, I like Angela's approach uh, and her friend's approach much better, saying, hey, um, I think you could do this. Why don't you give it a shot? And her thought of um, the, the post-game support, honest feedback, I mean, you could even take that a step further, right? You could say, hey, I'll, I'll look over your notes for you. I could point out some stuff. I'll play NPCs. There's lots of stuff you could do in that vein. I hadn't even thought about that, Ange, but that's a really good point. I mean, Mongrel, if you can, and anybody else out there, if you've got a player in your group who you think would be a good game master, there's no reason not to uh, grab she or he and uh, see if that uh, person is willing to step up and grab onto it for a little bit, even just to try it and just to find out if that's not their thing. Like Mikey. Yeah. Mikey. He likes Mikey. it. He likes it. Hey, Mikey, try it. Anyone who doesn't know what that is, is older <laughs> than Sean, is younger than Sean and Brett. All right. Next one is for you, sir. All right. Christopher Gray emails us. Hey, BS Arenos. Oh, there's a new one. I wrote a while. What, what Brett? Huh? No, I was going to say, yeah, I don't think we've been called a BS Areno, but I'll take it. I'll take it. That's right. I wrote a while back about how I drank some bourbon. And accidentally signed up to run a let's kill Strad one shot and then revealed that I was in a panic and didn't know what the hell I was thinking. <laughs> I, remember <that>. I remember that. <laughs> oh, you poor bastard, Christopher. Anyway, carry on. So I took your advice. Well, okay. Uh, were, were you sober when you took our advice? Uh, all, all that matters is he took the advice and then wackiness ensued. Carry on. Right. Uh, so I took your advice and structured it so the players were at the right level and had the right stuff to do it and then unleash them into Castle Ravenloft. I have since tested the scenario a couple times on Roll20 and finally feel like I'm ready to bring it to Strategicon in a couple weeks. All right. That's awesome. Whew. That is very Re cool. The reason I'm writing this is because I have to recount the hilarious result of my last playtest session. First, let me explain that I pulled out all the stops. I had the maps laid out in Roll20. I had spooky audio, rain, light, lightning effects, organ music, the whole thing. I was doing voices, pulling voice, pulling voice acting out from those acting classes in college, I mean. I set the tone, and the players were in it. It was great, but wait till you hear what happened. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> so my structure is this the moment the player set foot in the castle i count down 10 rooms slash scenes on the 10th room slash scene or two hours of play whatever comes first strad shows up i've found two hours is a good amount of time to fight strad so anyway strad shows up as they are in a small corridor you can tell the party is freaking out they're, they weren't expecting him. I would not expect Strahd in a small corridor either. That would be, bring me my brown pants. It had been adequately built up. My strategy was to lure them out of the corridor and then go to someplace nice and dramatic for the showdown. So Strahd taunted them a bit and then, for effect, turned into a bat to lure them off. One of the characters tried and it succeeded to catch the bat. <laughs> Squeak! 
Okay, so my DMness steps in. I adjudicate. I determine that the bat is a tiny creature. The character has gripped him, and so therefore he is restrained. I'm thinking, no problem, man. I mean, he's Strahd. He can't get out of the, he can get out of this. Embarrassing, but whatever. I fail the strength check on the grapple, so Strahd remains restrained. Then they use the holy symbol of Ravenkind, which sears the bat for 20 damage around. Now he's restrained and a bat. He can't cast magic. The sunlight is preventing him from resisting damage. The sunlight is stopping him from shape-shifting. He can't bite, strike, or literally do anything until he breaks free of the grip of this character. <laughs> Failed roll after roll. And as a result, they basically cooked the bat under a daylight heat lamp until he died. <laughs> Sounds like fried bat to me. <laughs> That's funny. It was quite possibly the most anticlimactic BBG scene I've ever witnessed. I think I horribly failed running Strahd, though after the session, the players stayed and chatted. We all went over the rules, and we can't see how I could have done anything differently. In the end, it was hilarious, memorable, and awesome. And as one player said, this will be a story I'll tell until the day I die. I was going to wait until after the con to recount my one-shot experience with Strahd, but this was too juicy. I'm sure the con will go differently. I won't use the bat form for starters. Thanks, guys. Love the cast. Keep up the good work. <laughs> so this reminds me of two stories. One is a Vampire the Masquerade story. There's a bad guy in there, Vlad Dracula. Yes, the Dracula. And at one point, I had him show up, and he's haranguing some of my player characters. And the one guy's a Nosferatu who has this swarm of bats under his control. Nosferatu, these nasty, ugly vampires that live in the sewers. And as Dracula is haranguing him and berating him and thus and such and so on, he has this swarm of bats show up. They grab Vlad and start flying off with him just to like get him out of where he belongs. I was so personally shocked as Game Master. I didn't know what to do. So I decided, you know what? Every once in a while, the bad guy just gets flustered and doesn't quite know what to do. It wasn't like life or death quite like this, but it was it was pretty memorable. The Some of the guys in my group still tell that story. The other one is when I played, I was playing Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. There's a nasty vampire in there, spoiler. And my buddy Lenny is running it, and uh, we're at his place, and we get in the position where the vampire is attacking us. And he goes, well, hang on, guys. I have to go upstairs and put the kids to bed. I'll be right back. We've been at Lenny's before. We know approximately how long it takes him to put the kids to bed. As soon as he leaves, he shuts the door. We grab Alpha, rules lawyer. How do we do this? What do we have to do? We inventory every spell we have, every magic item we have. It was rock to mud, um, daylight. We basically, within the first three rounds, had trapped the bat. We had trapped the vampire in this air, in this space where he couldn't get out. And because he wasn't able to get back to where he needed to, to reform, he died. And it was like, bam, 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 done. And Lenny's looking at us like, what? No, that's not true. <laughs> he spent the next half hour trying to figure out how how he could get out of it. But he loved to play exactly by the book. So there was nothing he could do about it. It was it was crazy. So at this point, whenever Lenny's running, he never, ever leaves to go put the kids to bed when there's a big bad guy in the room. He just realized that's a bad idea. But this, this, my friend, this is Mr. Gray. This is fucking funny. <laughs> I love everything about that. I love it. Go ahead, man. Would you have, would you have let them do that, Sean, in your game? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's what two hours in. I would, I would, I guess you gotta kind of. I would. I don't know, man. I'd have to look at Strahd's stuff and see. I mean, apparently that he he did what he could. That's funny, you know. And I guess that. Uh, you, how in the hell are you gonna guess that some stupid player character is gonna freaking capture you in bat form? And then not, and then you can't get out regardless of how strong you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No kidding. Like, Oh Lordy. All righty. Next up, we've got the mongrel Saturday pondering. He posted up on G plus. There's plenty of advice out there um, for new players for, uh, there's plenty of advice out there for new players learning a new game. What about getting an experienced player to learn a new game? Um, can experienced players become, uh, come with too many preconceived ideas to give a new game a fair go, especially if the new game is vastly different in mechanics or concept. What happened? What advice? Good God, I can't speak or read. 
What advice would you give beyond keep an open mind and how an experienced player, including Game Master, should approach learning a new system? Hmm. Sean? You gotta, you get, first of all, though, they gotta want to, regardless. I mean, they just, they have to be, you gotta convince them if they don't want to. And then you gotta appeal to, if they have some reluctance, then you gotta appeal to what appeals to them. So if they're always, Gravity, gravitizing to a particular character concept, then you may want to pitch them that they can play the same type of character in the new game. But if they don't want to play because it's too much out of their wheelhouse or comfort level or whatever the reason is, I don't know if you're going to be able to. I mean, and you know, I mean, it's kind of like forcing a square peg into a round hole. I don't know. One of the things that I found has worked is when the rest of the group is really into the game, right? So I played D&D with Sean, and they want to all play Star Wars. I'm like, ah, fuck, I hate Star Wars. Well, yeah, if you, get, if you get four out of, like, five players. Yeah. yeah, and then you get into it, and to be a good player, part of it is, like, get into the game. Everybody else is into it, and all the other players are looking at Brett saying, hey, what, what does Tornos do? I'm like, okay, yeah, you know what? I should get into this. This is a cool story. Shit's happening. I, you know, new mechanics, new dice, funky system, shapes and colors, and not what I expect normally. But let's get into it. The other thing I thought Sean did really well for me <clears throat> in that game was when really cool stuff happened. He heavily utilized the what's what's uh, super sexy about this game system. Hey, it works there in this case. That's why I'm saying it. So the co- the cool thing about that game system was how do you interact between game master and player? with the, the talk about the Star Wars Edge of the Empire stuff to determine what the dice mean, what what happens. Um, by making that happen, then I, it, I just gravitated naturally towards it because I like that stuff. That was a lot of fun. Um, so I think that's another component is that if the player, again, likes to be fighter person, give, an opportun- give that person an opportunity to use all the cool fighter stuff that you gave them. So if they have the character sheet and it says bash monster in face, and you don't give them a chance to bash monster in face, they're going to be bored. Give them a chance to spotlight and succeed, right? So if you try to play a new sport and you just suck ass at it, you're not going to do it again. You know, you try to play basketball the first time, you, you can't dribble. You feel like a fool. In the role-playing game, though, you can actually take it and you can cook the books, if you will, and you can trick the player into thinking they've totally succeeded or whatever, but you can give them a give that person opportunity to shine in the new system and they're going to like that. I mean, it's, it's hard not to, at least that's been my experience. What do you, uh, do you think? Well, you agree with any Sean or what do you yeah, think? No, I agree. I agree. Okay. I, I, I do agree more with the, if you get, you know, if you got a group of four people or four players and three are on board two maybe ones in the middle and two are on board, you can usually convince the other one or two to give it a shot. I mean, tell them yeah. it's not going to be forever, man. Yeah, that's a very good point, too. Like, hey, we're going to play this a couple times. We'll see what we like. I've got a one-shot campaign, or I've got uh, th- about three, four sessions, and we'll be done. We'll move on to something else if we want to. And the other piece that comes with that, too, is when I have done that, when I ran Lamentations of the Flame Princess, and the first time I ran DCC for my group, um, as soon as I was done with it, I said, so what would you think? Honestly, tell me. I think I was I think it was clunky in a few spots. I gave them a few things they could you know, chew on as far as mistakes that Brett made or that we made system-wise or whatever, but talk to them in <clears throat> kind of broad brush strokes. Hey, it was new for everybody. What did you guys think? Were any parts of it fun? And had them talk about the fun stuff first, and then we tore apart the little pieces that were bad. And um, everybody has something fun to talk about. I mean, unless they're a complete and absolute ass who just lump on the log does nothing, but that's, that's a different problem. Yeah, and chances are you're probably not playing with that person. Probably not. Hopefully. Or you're putting size 10 and a half up their buta. <laughs> All right. All right. Hey, next, we don't condone violence. No, not. We understand it. Well, we under, we understand it. We just don't condone it. <laughs> <laughs> not allowed anyway. Reach me in private message. Anyway. <laughs> Sean Azriel Arosha. Calling BS. On our social encounters episode. Aloha, friends. I must call BS on episode 123. Read one, two, three. 
its premise was social encounters, but there were there wasn't talk of a single encounter. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can't. What, what do I say, Sean? He's got us there. I mean, when you're dead to rights, you're against the wall. The lights are on you. He's got us. One thing I could do to fix that is just change the title of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't uh, do that. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the discussion on skill checks in it about players being more socially adept than their PC and how to address it, which could also be an episode onto itself. How to represent the skill differences between PCs and players. True. Very, this very true. But this episode did not address how to create engaging social encounters, their importance to the narrative and its place in an adventure. I was really looking forward to this because I have no idea on how to do them. Hell, I can't do shit, but these are my favorite type of encounters because some players don't even realize they are in one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good point. <laughs> I've seen players like that, yeah. In one of my games, there were some goblins we were supposed to fight, you know, a combat encounter. But a lawful good PC ventured forth innocently and said, hello, friends. Do you mind if we go by you? Roll 1d20 plus charisma and won them over, turning it into a social encounter. This has been a bit too long already, but I do want to let you guys know you guys keep rocking, but I have to call BS on you because that's what friends do. Take care. Maybe I'll hit you with a Spanish project of my own soon. Not unlike Mr. Hobbs's Hobbs. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Court, coy sort of hint. Cheers and hugs, Azrael. Well, Azrael, if you do get a um, uh, podcast going in Spanish, whatever, I we have plenty of different listeners. I would love to pimp the Sean. I'll be happy to. Oh, absolutely, man. You. So, so say. I'll tell you what, though. This what you say here, Azrael. Sean and I have been chatting about this. But a couple different things that we would like to do from an episode perspective and and turning things around a little bit. Um, not, I shouldn't say turning things around, around a little bit, but focus on some components of it. So, Sean, I think we're going to have to revisit this one and talk about the creation or types of social encounters. We can we can do this. We can put a finer point upon it using Ezreal's kind words to us. What do you think? Yeah, there's somebody else that's hinting that they have some BS with that episode, too. Maybe, maybe, hey. Maybe not one of our finer episodes. All right. Okay. Yeah. Jeez. Man. Off I my mean, back, man. <laughs> what is that? Like two out of 125? I mean, you that know. That were any good? I mean, that's not bad. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait. Oh, I went the wrong way. I went the wrong way. <laughs> Shit. No, that's, next, that's a good point. Next that was, on Gaming and BS. We're sorry. <laughs> Here's not, why. No longer taking feedback. <laughs> Just kidding. We we need that. That's cool. That's oh, always cool. That's, that's why we put it in there, man. We're not above reproach. No. And this is a very this is very good. Both Sean and I, after we got done with it, we talked about it. And I said, you know, I don't think we spent enough time on the, you know, how do you make an encounter thing? And uh Sean looked at me and said, No, no, we didn't touch that at all, you dumbass. I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. Now let's be fair, I didn't call you a dumbass, bro. No, not directly, but I felt it in my heart. Well, you know. Oh, I suppose that's it for random encounter. That's it. Let's endeavor to do better next time, Ezreal. We, I promise you, sir, we will, uh, we will uh, revisit that. Yeah, and thanks but, for write, writing in, everybody. Oh, absolutely. This, I, I say this all the time, and I, I do definitely mean it. As I know Sean does as well. The feedback we get from folks like Ezreal, the stories about <laughs> Strahd getting grappled and burned alive, and, and Mongrel's feedback, all that stuff is really good. We've had a number of great uh, listeners give us some incredibly good stuff that not only just spawns good. Um, next episodes and show topics, but gives Sean and I stuff to learn and to think about too. So that's cool. It's I wanted we want it to be a community like this. So this is it's really really cool. Thank you. I, all. I think I think there's some people that just listen to this show just to hear that segment, and then they're like, click. That's quite possible. <laughs> that's that's what I do. Um, right. That's why the episode. That's why the top main topic is kind of lackluster sometimes. Sean and I are done after the feedback. Like whatever. Hey, we really do a you know twenty minute podcast. The rest is kind of like whatever. Yeah, we phoned it in after this. So if right. you want, if you want to hit snooze, if you want to, you want to turn this off. Now's about the time. All right. Oh, that's not the freaking main topic. What? Dragons. Spoiled it. I already spoiled dragons. Yes. I'm gonna it's speak like Cumberbatch the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> You are little man. So, 
Sean and I were kibitzing about different angles and tacks and kind of a series of different topics for the show this year. One of the things that we have <clears throat> batted back and forth a couple of different times is kind of monsters and different ones that we like or we think get short shrift in games, whether they be sci-fi games, fantasy, modern, blah, blah, blah. And the first one that came to my mind were dragons and the problems with them, the, the, how I've made them interesting, different things that um, kind of not only the problems that may be inherent with the dragon itself, but uh, let's, let's just get into it. Let's just get, let's just, let's just see what we can do here, Sean. So you with me, man? I think so, man. Okay. So in it's, it's, it's there, there is, they're named after a a popular role-playing game. They're named after a popular role-playing game. Yes. That's what that is. (laughs) (sighs) All right. I'll be in town all week. So one of the things that, so you have your, anytime you've got, let me see. So let's see one of the biggest problems that I have run into in my gaming career with dragons themselves is that when you first start playing Dungeons and Dragons or any other game with dragons in it, you're like, oh, fucking dragon. Oh, wow. This is just a dragon. However, they, in my experience, become quickly outclassed by a host of other monsters in the various different books. Demons and Devils, the Tarrasque, you know, and if you really want to get some kick-ass Tarrasque stuff, I'll just throw another bone towards the uh, Misdirected Mark guys, but the book of the Tarrasque by John Arcadian. Um, <laughs> that book still, I, I've read it twice now. It just totally kicks ass. Anyhow, um, there was you even... Follow, a, you can follow Joe the Tarrasque on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Joe the Tarrasque went after me too, little... At Joe tr- the Tarrasque. Yeah, he went after me too, little fucker. Anyway, there was an there was even our, I have the uh, have the Dragon Mag article. I think it's episode, I think it's issue fifty. I think, but <clears throat> there was an old Dragon article about true dragons, basically trying to breathe life back into them as like real foes for a campaign. The original dragons that in your basic D and D, your AD and D, and so forth were, um, they weren't as modular, if you will. I mean, you had adults and youngs and so forth. But anyway, some of these other foes that you run into, demons, devils, lich, um, a number of other things that kind of outclass them or they outpace them as like the main bad guy of a dungeon. And perhaps that's because many of the old hands who were running adventures or dungeons and so forth, there, were all, there was always a dragon at the end and you wanted something different to spice it up. Instead of a dragon being the threat to the city, you wanted a... Uh, a horrible undead abomination or it was some evil sorcerer summoning a devil or something along those lines. Um, Sean, have you, have you found that to be true? Have you found dragons are like outclassed in your games or at least you don't see them as like the monster? I've run into more devils and demons than I have dragons. Yeah. Like I, me play, too. I play dungeons and demons and devils. That's the game I play. I think I can't even remember the yeah, last I mean, time I ran into a dragon dude. Seriously. You know, I think as a player, I can't recall as a game master. I remember the last one I used and I used it different, a little bit differently. I'll talk about it later, but I don't, I very rarely use them in the standard trophy model because it's just worn or, or dead to me. I don't know, but yeah, I, I, there's a lot more devils than demons. And perhaps, perhaps that's because some of those creatures, I mean, the Trask is like awful. Holy fucking hell. How do you even kill this thing? You know, bucket of unstoppable evil or destructive force i should say not necessarily evil it's like a crazy thing unto itself but devils and demons have that whole corruption angle where they're poisoning the minds of people and destroying things from within that kind of a slow decay rot approach versus a dragon which shows up and just stomps the living shit out of the entire city you know um so I think one of the, so when I think about dragons, one of the first thing that hits me is kind of some of the inherent problems, at least that I see with them is I think what you're saying is perhaps what I'm saying as well right now is that as a player, I don't fear a dragon as much as I do other monsters or other, other things. Is that true? Because the the game master isn't putting a big hammer on your ass. That's quite possible. Uh, I do believe, well, with devils and now we're getting into devils and demons, man. I know. But that's okay. We're just using it as something to bounce us off of here. I do think that there's other uh, extra planar, you know, based aberrations, whatever. That ha- The thing is, is that when dragons came out, their armor class was tough. 
they had breath weapon. Yep. Magic. Flight. Flight. So that's kind of known, I think, for the most part, or it becomes known relatively quickly. Right? I mean, you walk into an, a dragon's lair and you're like, holy shit, those are the things that first hit your head. It's the it's the boring factor, right? If they're too well known. That may be. And then you get into the devils and demons like, oh shit, oh, cold iron. Oh, what can they do? Uh, possession. Uh, you know, what what else do I need to like I don't I'm not equipped to kill this thing. Oh, they got spell resistance. I think dragons do too, to some degree. Some, yes. But uh yeah, devils and demons are a whole nother ball game, I think. The other, thing, the, the other thing, just from a, from a natural perspective of dragons, too, is you have an apex of apex predators in a dragon. We talk extra planar beings or outer planar beings. They don't live here. And when right. they show up, it's like, hey, you get rid of them. Who, thank God they're gone. But a dragon that lives a play, in some place, you're like, fuck, this is huge ancient red dragon that lives in, you know, the Stardock Mountains. Okay. Um, probably <laughs> when that dragon, you know, old Bernie is active, Bernie goes on a rage and Bernie's the fuck out of everything and eats everything. Burning aid in the countryside. Yeah, Trogdor is the whole shit out of it, right? <laughs> so when you deal when you deal with the those are one of the problems I had at one point with the Forgotten Realms is I remember reading through dragon magazines and they were like the dragons of the realms. You couldn't sling a dead cat without hitting a dragon in the realms, is what it seemed like. And I'm like, how can you have possibly have that many apex of apex predators around? Um, but I think I think sometimes having a natural creature of that size and that's destructive power. The Trask has built into it like, look, it only shows up every once in a while. It only does this, you know, once every 50 years when a comet is in the sky. It, it, that, that type of monster is designed to only happen every once in a great while. Yes, a dragon can fall asleep <clears throat> for a number of years or centuries or whatever, but it's still, um, it doesn't have the same, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to have the same feeling to me. And I think, the biggest piece for me is that unless I do something different with them, they're boring as fucking hell because every player knows it. My kids know dragons. I mean, like, oh, yeah, dragons fly. They have breath weapons, lots of different kinds of breath weapons, different colors equal different kinds. And if you change it, oh, it's different. You know, it shoots rainbows or it shoots whatever. It's it's not really doesn't seem to have the impact that some of the other creatures do. Dude, you got to hammer down the fear. You got, how would you, I, how would you do that? How would you do that, Sean? How, first how edition, first edition AD and D man, roll versus fear, right? Didn't wasn't there a save? Roll versus fear. Oh yeah, there's fear and all that. You know, dragon fear was a huge thing. Dragonlance really amped that up. Yeah, man. The, um, the, 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 you read so Dragonlance, in my opinion, is the the game, the campaign setting of dragons. I mean, come on, it's got it in its name, Christ. Yeah, I was gonna say it says Dragon Lance in the fucking title. <laughs> Better be a dragon or two. So, I mean, for those that are not familiar with Dragonlance and Kryn and the campaign setting, it's a great set. I think it's a great setting. Um, unfortunately, though, if you read all the books, you kind of like, well, I know all the setting and I know everything. But anyways, but the fear factor, man, you got to bring, I mean, even just in the earlier books, like the Chronicles books, when they run into the first dragon that they have, they haven't seen them in hundreds of years, thousands of years, or maybe hundreds. But it was like it was a black dragon in darkness, darkness came, I believe. Yes. Yeah, yes. Black dragon came out of the well, darkness everywhere. Nobody could see anything. They heard the screeching of the dragon's call coming down upon them. Of course, it's breath weapon for a black dragon's acid. Splatter that everywhere. I mean, those guys in the book. We're scared shitless, man. I tell you what, I think this is a really good opportunity for, for those mechanics to really work in your favor as a game master. Because this is a piece, we've talked about this a little bit with horror games in the past. Really, I don't know if we've done this on the mics, but I know we have outside of it. When it's not always easy to scare a player, right? And one of the ways to get past the player being scared is to remind them via game mechanic, hey, you just failed that fear check. And that, you know, huge ancient white Drake is coming off the glacier. Your character is scared shitless. You know, both are the brave. The barbarian of barbarians is now just shitting his loincloth because this thing is roaring down on him from the tundra. Oh, my God. <clears throat> you know, give them use those mechanics to really kind of ratchet that up. As you're saying, I think that's a I think that's a key piece is that you can't. 
the other component with it too is that when you talk about how smart they are, or when we when in, in certain games, I know D and D was famous for this, and even the Middle Earth setting and so forth. These things are incredibly intelligent. Smog was very smart, um, cunning, yeah, talking, yeah. quizzing, trying to figure things out. Yeah, if you get a grand, what is it? The what is the largest one? Wormling, I can't remember. Because they had different sizes, yes. right? They had wormling. Yes. They had mature, like young adult. But even if you take a what would be a young adult dragon and say, okay, it's only you know, 150 years old. Wow. It's a really, really right. smart thing. It's super cunning. It's very intelligent. It's wicked. Um, it knows how to use its surroundings. All that stuff that's very, <clears throat> everybody, yes, okay, it's a green dragon in his home territory. Oh, and the dragon's lair, it's very dangerous. You have to make that shit real, though. You have to make it so that there, there are obnoxious traps. There are, you really have to play that stuff up. And the other piece I have found is that I do have to periodically when I have brought them out in the past is remind the players that their characters don't know shit, right? The first time they encounter one, what do you know? Well, we know this, 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 no, no, Sean, no bread. You guys know this says Ange, your characters don't know that about dragons. You've heard this rumor, this rumor, and this rumor. What, what would your characters do with that knowledge? It's a really good, I think anyway, for the game master, it's a good opportunity to remind the players that, you know, perhaps to play a little more to character. If you want to get some of that mystery back, Sean, that you've talked about, wanting to have some of the, oh my God, I didn't understand what this thing would do. First off, as game master, don't say it's a red dragon. It lives in the mountains near a volcano. You know, don't play to all of those very specific things. Change the rumors. What, well, what color is it, says player? Well, it's kind of this golden brown, but kind of glitters silver in the moonlight. What? What, what golden brown glitter silver in the moonlight? Yes, that's what it's described as from the different peasants. Take a page from the Dungeon Crow Classics books, folks, and use vague descriptions by farmers and peasants and people who don't who only saw a glimpse of this thing or who were so terror struck that they're in shock after the this beast came down and laid waste to half to half their um half their battalion or whatever it is. Use those vagaries and that helps to ramp up the um the terror. And the fear, and again, the mechanics are always there at the end. But here, here, me? I think, I think the, the, I here's my my, here's what I think the the quickest, fastest way to strike fear into a player character's group or player character. Um, either one. either you have an NPC high level, and you know that they are really, high, you know, they got a lot of hit points, or you just come out, and this is gonna see it sound a little railroady, but. If that dragon or that even any creature comes out and hits them one time for a massive amount of damage, that will scare the piss out of a player character. Yeah, when like, you're fighter with 150 boom, points. Uh, let me see. Yeah, yeah. you take uh, 75 points of damage. One hit, one time. And that's not like, oh, it gets three attacks per round. Oh, let me throw in the breath weapon. You know, you take like an NPC, put them out there for fodder, like they're, you know, Mr... Mr. Mrs. Warrior, 20th level, 10th level, whatever. They've been fighting since the dawn of time and they've conquered lands and whatever. And they get out there and the dragon, they think they're going to take them on like the Nazgul in freaking Return of the King. And they smash that, <laughs> smash that guy into a hundred pieces. That, that'll put in some fear, man. Yeah. Shock and awe, right? <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Holy yeah, you, shit. You take Fear the cap. Take the cavalier on his big white charger and uh, destroy the horse and cripple the cavalier. There you oh, go. Oh, and your freaking lance is like broken like a freaking toothpick. Yeah. The other piece that I have found, apart from that particular type of shock and awe, one of the one of the issues I have with that is some games have a tendency to make the dragons oversized, like so fucking gigantic, big. Um, in the Iron Kingdom setting, which I really like by Privateer Press. There was uh, Lord Torduk, which is like a dragon god. And the one picture in the Monstronomicon shows him and these and people sitting next to him, like in silhouette. And the people are damn near the size of ants compared to him. He's so goddamn gigantic. Dragons are fucking huge. There is that has a lot of fear. People will be terrified of something like that because there is a how the hell could you fight something that's that big? Right. I mean, if you have something 
that you feel is like a like a living battleship attacking your player characters and you're just human sized it's terrifying what the hell are you going to do with that and i think if if you do if you go too crazy in the oversized component it becomes comical and the players look at you like well, i can't beat it there's nothing you could do i have this sword yes it's a plus 5 holy avenger how could i possibly you know, of cleaving heads of dragonness, and how could I possibly cleave this thing's head? Its head is on a neck that's ten feet around. That doesn't even make sense. It <laughs> becomes so big and so crazy, you've almost jacked it to the point where it's so oversized as dumb. Michael's in the chat room. He's like, the horse is now a fine red mist. That's <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but you got to get the Dragonlance, man. You got to get, you. you know, Huma, and you got to get the saddle and what, what do you think you though about the, the you gotta get the the silver arm and forge the new dragon yes, lance yes. man and, and take them into battle and kick their ass so what do you think about oversized dragons is there such a thing to you do they get too big man everything in D or fantasy is always like big like i mean christ they did storm king's thunder man it's full of giants everything's like yeah I don't but even a giant know. no i'm telling I, you though a storm giant is what 26 feet tall so that's fucking big 26 feet man could you okay, imagine no, taking I, on a 26 foot freaking being okay that's that's crazy enough but then you brett, think i'm about, talking about you man like you brett i mean <laughs> brett b dude that, you got like at least 100 uh, you know <laughs> 50 better odds than i do of taking them on but the dragon's even bigger that's craziness yeah so that's what i'm saying is that i think there's a certain point with the size especially of dragons where it becomes comical it's too much Gotta get the underbelly, dude. Remember in first edition, though, you had to get the soft spot. Backstab. That's true. Oh, but that mm, okay. That's how we used to play it. We used to play it where it would be like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, you take on the dragon, you're you're back and you're bashing it away, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's a group effort. Everybody's poking away at this thing. You know, and it, I mean, I used to remember a, a dungeon master would be like, and you find like the one vulnerability, the soft spot, you know, there's scales that have been ripped apart and torn away and you know they're they may have some old scars that haven't recouped over you know 150 years you get in there and you you hit that one spot man it's the it's the freaking it's the death star man it's got the little well, it's smog right he's got a hole in his over his left breast you know just yeah. a small hole where the black arrow can hit him the cool thing about that though is that when you have finally how to do this so when you have something like that the players then feel like oh my God, we have a chance. And you feel that that's the only chance you have. And you limit the chances down to like these, what are at least overtly perceived as slim margins of success. We have to hit it in just the right place at just the right time. Otherwise it won't work. Okay. The players get their asses handed to them, tail slaps, wing buffets, breath weapons, spells, whatever the dragon's doing. And then somebody gets in that quote unquote lucky blow because they finally hit the soft spot. Big whoop and holler goes up. The party's happy as hell. They did the thing. Oh, we got to do it again. You got to do a couple of those because got a shit ton of hit points. Um, that's the only way, in my opinion, that the oversized foe becomes fun is to add those narrative components to it because otherwise, when it's so big, it's just it's it's too much, in my opinion. I totally agree. You got to it's a group effort and there's a lot of shit going on. You got a magic user that's dicking around trying to bring down counteract some spells. You know, you've got. And obviously, when they bring this thing down, they're going to be jumping for joy, man. If you do they're it right. Be like, Well, the other piece that goes with that, though, is that it can't be the 15th dragon that the party's killed. No. That's the other component of it, which is where I got bummed out with uh, Forgotten Realms and um, some other. I mean, perhaps maybe this is why dragons don't show up as often as I may like to see them sometimes, but there's a limit. You can only have so many Apex Apex Predators for one. And two, if killing dragons at high level is the same as killing kobolds at low level, it gets really boring. Oh, yeah, I'll go kill another. Oh, it's just another pesky blue dragon out in the desert. I'll go take care of that. I mean, that, that it has to be special. And if you've made it fearful and they finally killed one, if they ever encounter another one, it has to have something different or equally terrifying. I think... I have played games back in my high school days when you killed, like, you know, a dragon a week. It seemed like you're fighting <laughs> dragons constantly. You're high enough level. The game master's throwing dragons at you. Like, yep, oh, it's a it's a large green dragon. Now ah, we can take that out. <clears throat> you swoop in on your Pegasi and you take the dragon out of the sky. My the games I played do not age well. 
they would they would not no they do not no they do not what the hell we're a bunch of (laughs) knuckleheads exactly well which is why we try to learn from that shit and make it better right so one of the the classic images of the dragon is like the saint george the dragon he's you know the dragon isn't that big i think it's like smaller than a warhorse the one uh, classical painting where he's being stabbed um I took that the concept of a very ancient dragon, but not very large in size, still big, but not not as small as a horse, but again, not oversized. And um, I had a dragon as a founder of a monastic order. It was basically an evil order of monks, um, lawful evil. And what I had done in this AD&D game is I basically set the dragon up and he was the founder of that monastic order. And that was what he used to kind of control and so forth. And that, that was his thing. Um, I've also had dragons as crime lords in major cities. Like they're somewhere deep within the bowels of the city. And much I basically took a twist off of, uh, I can't remember the name of the Beholder under Waterdeep. That's a big uh, crime lord in Waterdeep is a Beholder. I just said, oh, I'll have a dragon instead instead of a Beholder. And uh, that works out pretty well, too. They're super smart. They essentially live forever. And they can amass a lot of gold really cheap. Just get a bunch of slaves and underlings to do stuff for them. Every once in a while, they have to crush or kill a few people just to shock and awe the the locals. But otherwise, they're crime lords. Um, And I'll tell you what. When the players come to find out that the crime lord who uses the symbol of the dragon is really a fucking dragon, that scares the shit out of people. When you come down, you get through the, the dungeon, the subterranean part of the of the of the of the setting you get in there like okay the crime lord this is room like it's a goddamn dragon the crime lord's a dragon that from a shock perspective it's the oh my god i didn't know it was a thing the dragon was hidden behind this facade of being something else so the players didn't have time to remember everything that they already knew about dragons so i got past the whole dragons are so well known and understood the players knew how to combat it there was just shock the players had no clue that it was there so again, perhaps sneaky is, is, is the answer for that one. But that was, that was a hoot for me because I had it set up and there was plenty of clues and hints that there were, it was some sort of nasty reptile that was behind everything. Honestly, one of the players thought it was like serpent men or a Naga that turned out again to be the dragon. So that was, I had a good time with that. Have you done anything similar to that where you've kind of fucked around with dra- twisted them a bit? I have not messed around with a lot of dragons for a long time and not quite sure why I haven't run a game in a little while now. Um, but also with, with dragons, one thing we haven't covered is some, uh, well, I wouldn't say myth mythology, but some like dragon Lance is an example where dragons would take human form. Yes. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, you go dragons, the good ones, especially, right. And but I mean, you get the dragon born that's derived from heritage of dragons. But I have not whipped out a dragon uh, as an encounter or an, an obstacle in a role playing game for quite some time. And it kind of irks me because of the stupid name of the game. And and I don't know how many people have really like it's dungeons and everything else, but not dragons. You know, nobody throws out the big the big worm. There was a um, old dragon magazine. There's a short story about a guy who he comes into this alchemist shop and he's trying to sell some dragon's blood because he needs money and he's got it's this basically a cauldron if you will a small bucket for lack of better term, of dragon's blood and the alchemist is figuring out like oh it's red dragon's blood oh my god this is really blah 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 and the character who's trying to sell it as he gets paid is wandering out stupid adventures coming to my home kick me out of my own cave oh, just a fucking dragon selling his own blood so he can make get some money back and he steps outside the alchemist shop turns and the dragon flies away and I, I read that and went, oh, that was kind of cool. It was a fun little short story. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have, um, we were playing uh, second edition AD&D back in the day. And I had this world I had built. The alchemist shop, it was a dragon. It was this big red dragon. And he's not a very nice person. But he basically, that was how he kept tabs and everything that was going around around him. He just polymorphed himself into this thing and um, would watch. The problem I think now is, well, with some of the polymorph spells, I think as they're written now, you can't do quite that size of a size change difference. I don't know. Um, but I know that was a thing, especially back in First Ed, where dragons were constantly, especially the more powerful ones, the good ones would take different shapes, um, like the golds and the silvers, to interact with people just to kind of see what was going on. 
So that was always that was fun when I had the red dragon who was an alchemist and he just hung out there and people would try they would they'd come looking for potions or healing or they'd talk to stuff. He was very involved in city politics and all this. So adventurers would come up to try to figure out where the red dragon was up in the mountains. And he'd be like, Oh, okay, it's you guys. Really? Okay. So when are you leaving? Okay, cool. That's that's good to know. <laughs> he just made sure he ambushed him on the way up to his own cave. So that was that was again the sneaky bastard thing I did, but it was a lot of fun. So yeah. I guess do 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 I I still like dragons, but there's a piece of me that I guess perhaps it's it's your point. I I haven't used the last one I used was as a crime lord. I did use one as a huge just a oversized dragon, but it, it was frozen and sleeping high in these mountains. And the players accidentally woke it up. Um, which and then it causes death and destruction. So they have to figure out a way to put it down. But I, I guess where I'm going is that each of those times when I used it, it was a pivotal piece of the campaign. It wasn't a throwaway creature. I remember looking at some of uh, some of the wandering monster things where you could be going from here to there and, you know, green dragon wandering monster. Um, <laughs> and I always thought that if the dragon becomes a wandering monster, that sounds kind of like a throwaway critter, like wandering monsters. That freaked me out. I'm like, really? A green dragon, a huge ancient green dragon. is just a wandering monster through these, through this forest. That could, <laughs> first off, one, kill the whole party, um, which, okay, fine, it could happen. But two, I'm like, that seems a little, because as soon as the wandering monster dragon came, the first time I ever used it, I thought, oh, this could be fun. The wandering monster and green dragon shows up in a forest. The players fight him, kill him, and then they try desperately to track him back to his cave because they want to find the dragon's loot. And try as you might to tell the players that, well, he could have flown hundreds of miles in any one direction. They're like, don't care. We're going to find the dragon's loot. You're on a quest for a king. Fuck the king. Where's the dragon's loot? I'm going to find the dragon's cave. They become very narrowly focused on that. And that's the the other piece with dragons is that the the volume of treasure that they're supposed to have um, can be unbalancing in a way. If you if you do it like the old smog the golden thing where you're sitting upon this huge, literally millions upon millions of gold coins. That's that's a lot. <laughs> it kind of change the entire economy of the world right there. Yeah, it's obnoxious. Definitely. So I like dragons. Um, I think they need to. I think when I use them, I like to use them in different ways. Like I said, crime lords, founders of monastic orders. Um, and I also like to, uh, like I said, we're you know, head of a, head of an alchemist shop. But I've, if I'm going to do it, I tend to build it as a focal point for the campaign. So, Sean, when you last had a dragon in a game, did you do you even remember when that was or how you did it? I honestly cannot remember the last time I had a dragon, and could have been uh, could have been the Dragonlance time frame when we were going through that as a campaign setting would be my guess. But that's, I mean, it's I don't even remember. Like it had to have been before my break, hmm. and I and I had like a 15, 10, 15 year break. Damn. So do you want a dragon in your next game? If I run D&D for you, do you want to fight a dragon? You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I would probably welcome it. Um, I don't know if I would want to fight them or if it's the big bad or maybe it's a distant land and something is. Or try to social encounter my way out of it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you never know. But yeah, I do. I do appreciate dragons. Um, I always had a soft spot for Kryn and uh, Dragonlance. But you, there is some there are some drawbacks to having a dragon come around in the campaign, and you know, I mean, just the economics of a dragon existing is weird, right? Like, what do they eat? Like, they eat everything because they're so big and you know so old, and unless they're hibernating and their their metabolism is slow and they don't need to eat as much. I'll tell you, there's very few things as fun as an unclimactic. I say fun is in you know sarcasm here <clears throat> but i have run a, i do recall running a 3-0 dragon event and it was a huge fucking anti-climax because the players had done all this homework done all this prep work as characters and they crushed the dragon like that they just destroyed it it was like a non-event and it was really the players were like oh wow that was really cool and it was forced on all sides because it was so anticlimactic and if you fight something like a dragon, it's not a big goddamn deal. It was like, oh yeah, we killed it. Eh, I killed goblins too. It, <laughs> it just doesn't. It loses its potency. 
And I think so many times, and maybe this is this just hit me. Maybe when I have run, when I have had that problem in the past, I pulled a dragon out too late. Dragon should have come out when they were fifth level, sixth level. Why did I wait till tenth or twelfth level to do that? Right. Well, and even even if you do, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you DCC it, and you just they don't know the 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 rules. They don't know the specs. You you bring the hammer down it with a reasonable touch. Maybe give them a fighting chance if they want to take the the, the big bad on. I don't know. The ambiguity, the ambiguity for a dragon, I think, is key. Instead of having it be just another stat block that comes directly out of the monster manual, flipping it around a little bit, doing something. Um, my examples of the Crime Lord or the Monastic Order guy, they're they're different. They're flipped, right? But just something that makes it different, even if the color is different or it, you know, it's green but breathes fire. Just something that tweaks it a little bit makes the dragon interesting again. At least it does to me. Hey. That's what I want. Let's bring, hey, let's make dragons interesting again. That sounds really, a, that sounds like a horrible political slogan. I'm going to get a hat and put that on there. Like red hat. hat. Well, a red hat that says make dragons interesting again. Yeah, and wear it around Gary Con. Yeah, then we'll get mobbed and murdered. Dude, I am so full of this stuff, man. I don't know why I'm not <laughs> selling this crap. So, I mean, seriously, though, I would love to hear what other uh bsers out there have done with dragons and we've got a lot of osr listeners we have a number of folks who are playing 5e and other games i mean we sean and i talked very heavily in the DD space but i know there, there's dragons in every fantasy game out there right if you're playing savage worlds there's dragons if you're playing uh fate whatever you can you can have a dragon in fate <clears throat> excuse me there's all sorts of places and ways to go with them we didn't even touch on you know dragons in a modern fantasy setting you know like in uh chicago or something along those lines but I th- I'm just one of the things when I read about dragons in any monster manual, I, I tear through them. And even with a 5e one, I went, okay, what did they do to try to make him a little bit different? What did they do to make it new again to me? And that's one of the monsters in the 5e book went, eh, okay, it's just a dragon again. Oh, it's just a dragon. There was nothing in there that really jumped out at me that said, oh, these 5e dragons, they're something to write home about. It just didn't sing to me at all. Where I actually thought, you know, even 5e having winged kobolds. Was like, oh, that's a different thing for Cobalt. That's cool. Maybe that was somewhere else. I don't recall in 4E. Um, but okay, that was cool. That was a neat little twist. Then I get to dragons, like, oh, it's just a big fucking lizard that breathes stuff. Okay, says, yay. Says the guy that doesn't believe in game balance. Man, exactly. whip out it. Hey, if you don't believe in it, whip out the dragon first level, man. Exactly. Damn. No, th- that's, what, that's what I'm saying. You know, when, when I have done it in the past, you know, to change things up, yeah, fuck it. You could do it at any point. But. Again, when I read through the rules as written, they're like, oh, well, all right. So I got to fuck around with that thing. I got to do some work to it to make it do so, do something for me. So bring, bring back. I like dragons. to know what other people are doing. Let's make, make dragons, dragons great, great again. again. Exactly. Let's get into die roll. Let's do it before we get worse. Die roll. Brett's got a couple. I got three. We've got a few from listeners. Brett, go. So in the um, interest of talking about dragons and so forth, I found a little article about some Aboriginal Australians, according to archaeologists, have uh, lived with giant lizards, like the huge monitor lizards and other um, mega fauna, I guess. (laughs) So link in the show notes, kind of cool stuff. And speaking of our friends at Goodman Games, there is a Kickstarter out there, How to Write Adventure Modules That Don't Suck. I believe as of when this thing drops on February 7th, we, you'll have well, about seven more days left. Um, this sucker ends. I uh, can't recall when, but anyhow, it's out there. The Kickstarter's out there. Link in the show notes. So take a look at it. Over to you, uh, sir. Chromatic, chroma, chroma, chromatic dragon layers on drive through from heroic maps. So speaking of the theme of the show, Check that out. There's a there's a bundle there that you can grab if you want to start implementing dragons into your campaign. Uh, one thing we did not mention is uh, dragons that are derived from the Asian uh, side of the world. Yeah, that's a good point too. I mean, I would love that. That's another way, you know, the Penlung and the different um, Asian dragons, and they operate differently than your standards. Yeah. So that's yet another way to tweak them a little bit. Good stuff. Uh, number two for me, the perfect potion list from Goblin Punch blog. So, if you want a reference for some potions, check out that uh, link in the show notes. 
Uh, number three, sticking with the theme of the show because it's how I roll. 16 Strangest Dragons in Dungeons and Dragons. It's an article from io9 in like 2015, but it points out some of the cooler, yet maybe wackier versions of dragons. Does it have the rainbow dragon and the purple dragon? I didn't see the rainbow dragon, but it does have like an, the iron dragon. Okay, I remember that one. Uh, there was one there was one dragon in a dragon magazine that they mislisted the experience points, and someone wrote back to them and said, if that experience points total is correct, you'd have to kill Asmodeus 30 times or something like that in order to equal the experience points for one of these dragons. Like, I'll just go kill that dragon once and I'll be done with it. It's crazy. Now, if you are a Dungeons and Dragons aficionado and have a lot of monster manuals, some of those dragons are going to ring a bell with you. And some that of you that have not purchased all those, then you'll probably be like, what? They actually release that dragon? What? That's nuts. But anyways, check it. Check it out. Link in the show notes. Listeners started off, Brett. Yeah, we got Brian Krutzinger pointed out an article on CBC Radio Canada, why Dungeons and Dragons is a source of female empowerment. Link in the show notes. I have not had a chance to look that one up yet, Brian, but thank you for calling it out. I want to take a look at that one. It's an interesting one. I think it's more of a, it's an interview. I think it's an interview format. So it's an interview with, between like CBC Radio and and somebody else, which I believe is obviously female, but they go into kind of their why they love Dungeons and Dragons and what it does for them. Very cool. And flipping from that to something rather disgusting, uh, Hawk Sparrow and a couple other people had posted this, but Hawk was the first one I saw. It's a vile bit of insanity. Uh, doctors apparently pulled a live cockroach out of a woman's skull. Um, why did I put this up here? One, it's fucking gross as hell. Uh, two, it reminds me distinctly of the Shan, these horrible insects from Shaggy that are in the uh, Cthulhu mythos. So that's why, that's why I put it there. And it's great fun to uh, to do horrible things to player characters with uh, insectoid parasites that climb up their nose and live in their brains. So, hey, there you go. <sighs> Goblin's Henchman has a collection on Google+. Plus. Link in the show notes dedicated to magic items. So he puts a few up there if you want to check them out by all means. Uh, Shane Freeman gave us a great resource on maps. Dave's Delver. Um, <clears throat> link in the show notes. Really Dave's Mapper. Yeah, Dave's Dave. Mapper. I said Delver. What the hell is a Delver for? Mapper. Dave's Mapper.com in the show notes, of course. Yeah. So Dave's Mapper is interesting. If you go there, Brett, it brings in a bunch of maps from a d- bunch of different resources and kind of lays them over each other. And then you can uncheck them and then it takes off each layer. It's just whack. I mean, it's cool as hell. Check it out. Slick. Very nice. Uh, and lastly, but not leastly, Bruce. Connington. Uh, he wanted us to point this out. So the UK UK Games Expo, I think that he brought this to our attention last year. So if you're listening to this, February 7th, 2017 is when this drops. If you listen to it after this happens, not sure what to tell you, but um, the expo runs from the 2nd to the 4th of June, 2017 in Birmingham, UK. So Bruce and Lee Nielsen are once again running several Dungeon Crawl Classics games. They have the following program so far. I'll put that in there. Um, Last year, all the DCC sessions sold out within a few days. So if you are in the UK and you're looking to sign up for some cool games at the UK Expo, uh, you got to get into Bruce's and uh, Lee's games for sure. Even if you don't, even if you haven't played DCC, you wanted to give it a shot. I mean, 13 Skulls, Escape from the Purple Planet, Dark Trails, they got a playtest going, Well of the Worm. It's all good stuff. So if you've not played it before, you want to see what it's all about, no better place than a convention or a game expo like this to get in, try out a new system like DCC for you. So good stuff. Definitely good stuff. And speaking of games expos, if you are in Madison, Wisconsin area or the Wisconsin region, Come November 2017, you will definitely want to make plans for GameholeCon. That's GameholeCon.com. They just sent out a newsletter recently. Brett, do you remember some of the highlights in that newsletter? I do not because I'm a bad person, Sean. I know, me too. But uh, I'm trying to think of what they put in there. Some new guests, I'm I'm sure. Larry Elmore Elmore is the uh, artist. He's doing art for them. He will be here, which is really freaking cool. Larry's one of my favorite artist people, so that's really nice. Yes. Um, 
But and if you're not getting the newsletter, go over there to the website, put your email address. Even if you're not signing up, maybe you come come down the road and you want to keep in touch with. Them. They did announce the new plushie for 2017, which is going to be mimic, mimic. So they've done the owlbear, the boulet, the land shark, yes, and, and now the, the mimic. mimic. Very nice. By John Kavalik of Dork Tower and Munchkin fame. Correct. That's the other things. Otherwise, uh, we will be there. We hope you could be there as well. Thank you so much for Game Hole for being a partner. Uh, what are we talking about next week, Brett? Well, you know, I don't know. I've got a couple different things on the docket here. I think we we might dive into uh, the the social encounters component, or we might um, might talk about some fighting. So we'll see. It'll be one of those two. I'm pretty sure. All right. Well, excellent. Uh, for Gaming ABS, I am one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rodemacher, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Billado, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Mirko Froelich, Wayne, Lumrunner Humphrey. James Carpio, not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Eileen Barnes, Chad Knight, Dan Lavalley, C.W. Mellencamp, Nicholas Bruzzo, Victor Wyatt, Tony the Butcher Baker, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Brasslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, Stephen Dragon Spawn. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you could support the show for an entire month. Consider visiting GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you to all the patrons, and thank you for listening. This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.